Father in heaven, tonight, the only voice we want to hear is yours. The only opinion, Lord, that matters is yours. So Lord, I pray you would help me to have the ability to think clearly, to speak clearly, and most importantly, hide me behind the cross of Christ. Lord, forgive me for my sins, and may Jesus be lifted up tonight as we talk about this very important subject. We pray that you would bless each one that is here and bless everyone that is watching online too. And thank you for the promise that you will help us to understand your word when we ask it. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Friday night, we looked at the biggest issue in the universe, the issue of worship. And as we examined that issue, we reviewed some ancient history. Way back in the early days of the universe, Lucifer began to be self-absorbed, and he began to get jealous. He began to covet the throne of God. He wanted to be worshipped like the Creator. But he failed to seize control of the, of the throne. And ever since then, he's been trying to distract attention away from God because he wants to build his own empire. But will it ever work? Yes or no? No, praise God it won't. He can't because he cannot be worshipped. That's a privilege that only belongs to the Creator God. So tonight, we're going to go back to the Bible for more clarity. We always want to stand on the Bible, right? Amen? You know, there's an old saying, and I actually used to do this in my evangelistic meetings. I forgot to do it here, but it goes like this. I want you guys to learn this. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. Can you guys say that with me? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. What do you say? Is that good? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. Amen? If it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. That's what we're looking for tonight. You'll notice, you'll remember that that's how Jesus responded when he was tempted by the devil. Remember in the wilderness, he always quoted scripture, and that's what we need to do, friends. Ultimately, the truth is not found in books or movies or sermons. It's found where? It's found in the Word. That's why I tell you every night, this is our only textbook. Don't take my word for it. Check what the Bible says. Preachers can lead you all kinds of places. You need to know what the Bible says. Amen? So in the Bible, there's a story about a man named Pontius Pilate. How many of you have heard of this man? Now, in, in Easter time, you'll hear stories about Pilate. He's part of the Easter story. He was the Roman governor who condemned Jesus to die. And history tells us that Pilate was an exceptionally brutal man. In fact, there's a reference in, 13, in the Luke 13 to an incident where Pilate mingled the blood of the Galileans with their sacrifices. Historically, we know what happened. He actually had Roman soldiers who were, who were disguised themselves, disguising themselves, and they hid in a crowd of worshipers, and at the right moment when they gave the signal, they took out their swords and they killed all the worshipers. We know that Pilate was a cruel man. He wasn't, wasn't the kind of man to easily be swayed by emotion. But at one point in his career... He comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he wavers. He hesitated, which was completely out of his character. And then he asked a very important question. Maybe it was the most important question that has ever been asked. John chapter 18, beginning with verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, that is Jesus, Are you a king then? 
Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. The truth about what? The truth about God. You see, Jesus came to reveal who? He came to reveal God. He came to reveal the Father or the Father's character to the world. Remember, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus said. Pilate said to him, and friends, this might be the most important question in the world, especially in a world that says there is no such thing as absolute truth. What did Pilate say? What is truth? What is truth? In a world where someone is deliberately trying to deceive the whole human race, trying to distract our attention away from God, that might be the most important question ever asked. What is truth? You and I can't afford to take people's word, can we? We have to know what truth is. We have to go where to find truth. The Bible, God's Word. How can you know for sure something is true? How can anybody, how can you know for sure something is true? What do you think? If you, have, you can respond on the chat online if you'd like to. I'm going to submit to you tonight that God makes it pretty easy. The Bible gives us three standards of truth. How many standards, everyone? Three. Three reference points, which means we can triangulate our position and know exactly where we are. The first great standard of truth comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. This is Jesus speaking to Thomas, a disciple who often struggled with doubt. Here it is, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Except through me. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the truth. So if something is true, you should be able to back it up with who? With Jesus, right? Because he is the ultimate source of truth. So that's the first great standard, Jesus Christ. The second great standard also comes from the words of Jesus, and you can find this in John chapter 17. John 17, verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is truth. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So if something is true, especially in the world of religion, you've got to be able to back it up with the word of God. Amen? That's why the devil hates the Bible so much. It's because the Bible exposes the fact that he is a liar. That's why he's always, always raising doubts in people's mind about the Bible, putting question marks. You know, is the Bible really true? Is it something we can really rely on? Friends, I hope that by coming to Amazing Prophecies, you've been able to see how reliable the Bible is. Amen? How, how, how solid God's Word is. We can count on His Word. And yet, Satan often says these doubts in our minds. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Will you really die if you eat the fruit from that tree? Come on, you're taking this too seriously. Everybody has a different opinion, and you can never know who's right. But Jesus says, the word of God is truth. Amen? 
Now that's two great standards of truth. truth uh, standard number one is who? Jesus Christ. Standard number two is the Word of God. Now here's standard number three. Psalm 19, 119, verse 142. By the way, have any of you tried to memorize Psalm 119? <laughs> you know, we would try to memorize uh, <laughs> chapters of the Bible, and if you've ever tried Psalm 119, it's a hard one because it's a long psalm, right? I mean, a hundred and however many verses, but it's a great, they even have a song that goes through all of Psalm 119. That's a long song. <laughs> but I love Psalm 119. It's a beautiful psalm, and in this verse, it's just powerful. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is what? God's moral law is always the truth because it's a striking picture of his character. Remember, the law of God shows us what he is like, and God never changes. Remember, we said, we referenced on Thursday night, we talked about the law. And Jesus said, not one jot or tittle shall be done away from the law until all is fulfilled, right? And he said, heaven and earth will not pass away so, until the law is fulfilled. So we, remember, we stomped on the ground. The ground is still under our feet, right? So the law is still truth. So if God is truth, then his law is truth. Friends, so there you have it. The three standards of truth. Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, the Word of God. Number three, the law of God. And if you have three reference points, you can't go wrong. It's kind of like putting out a fence post. Have any of you ever built a fence? All right, now I've, I've helped build a fence. I can't say I can really build a fence. But if you put one fence post... It doesn't really tell you if you're going in the right direction or a straight line. If you put two fence posts, you kind of get more of an idea that you're going on a straight line. But if you have three fence posts, then you can know for certain, right? I see some of you shaking your head. You can know that you're going in a straight line. Amen? So here we've got three fence posts. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the Law of God that can tell us that we are going in the right track. Now, when we met on Friday... We searched throughout the Bible and we saw that God took the seventh day at creation and he established it as a permanent memorial. And he did three things with that day. Do you remember what he did? Number one, he. Number two, he. And number three, he sanctified it. Amen. And then we discovered that nowhere in the Bible is there any record of God changing his mind about the Sabbath. But just to be sure, Let's check the Sabbath against these three standards of truth. What do you say? Remember, standard number one is who? Jesus Christ. All right. Do you find the Sabbath in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Amen. Yes, you do. First of all, Jesus is the creator. So you'll find that in John 1, in Colossians 1, and in Hebrews 1. We know that Jesus is the one who blessed the Sabbath from the very beginning. But we also looked at this verse on Friday night. Luke 4.16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The Bible teaches that Jesus grew up keeping the Sabbath. It was his custom. He never anticipated a change. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is looking ahead 40 years into the future, long after he's gone back to heaven, and he still didn't see a change. Look at what it said here in Matthew 24, verse 20. He said, pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. 
And if you read all the way through the Gospels, you make an incredibly incredible discovery. Not only did Jesus not change the Sabbath, he went to great lengths to correct the Jewish people's understanding about the Sabbath after the children of Israel came back from Babylonian captivity. Some of them had become very paranoid and, and they didn't want to make the same mistakes that had made them captive in Babylon. And so groups of, of people called the Pharisees, have any of you heard of, have, ever heard of the Pharisees, right? They went out of their way to make all kinds of rules to make sure that nobody even came close to the edge of breaking the Sabbath. Have any of you ever heard of these rules? Very interesting. Would you like to hear a couple examples? All right, here's an example. If it was against the rules of the Pharisees to spit on the Sabbath. Now you say, well, why is that, Pastor Kyle? Well, here's why. Because if I spit, like if I spit on this flower, I'm not going to do it, Renika, don't worry. If I spit on a blade of grass, it was irrigating that blade of grass, and therefore it would be doing farm labor on the Sabbath. That was an actual rule of the Pharisees. Another rule said that if you wiped mud off your sandal on Sabbath onto the side of your house, you know, you've ever gotten mud on your shoes and you're wiping it off on the side, and if you did that, it was plastering your house, so therefore you were working on the Sabbath. Here's another rule. You ready for another one? You had to be really careful about eating. How many of you like eggs? Okay, a few of you like eggs. Okay. Well, if you were a Jew in that time of, <laughs> of, of the history, you had to be careful about eating eggs that were laid on the Sabbath because if it came from an egg-laying chicken, that chicken had worked on the Sabbath and therefore broken the law. But if the egg came from a chicken who was being raised for meat, then the egg was not the chicken's primary job, and so therefore the chicken didn't break the Sabbath, and so you could safely eat the egg. <sighs> now, guys, these were actual law. These are kind of, they sound crazy to us, Right? But, but this is what many of those Jews were believing at the time. They were man-made rules and regulations, over 600 of them. And so there were so many rules that people started to hate the Sabbath. And so in passages like Matthew 12, Jesus tries to correct their understanding. He said the Sabbath was made for who? For man, and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus wanted people to love the Sabbath. Amen. So yes, the Sabbath was absolutely there in the life and ministry of Jesus. And of course, we discovered that Jesus is also Lord of the Sabbath day. Matthew 12, 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the... So friends, that's standard number one. The life and teachings of Jesus, and it all checks out. Now standard number two was the... Were you with me? It was the Word of God, remember? And there's no question about this one, friends. The Sabbath was there. It's all throughout the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, before the human race ever sinned against God, the Sabbath was there. In Genesis chapter 2, God rested on the Sabbath day. He blessed the Sabbath day and He sanctified it. And again, on Friday night, we saw the Sabbath was in existence even before God wrote it down in the Ten Commandments. Remember, the Ten Commandments happen in Exodus chapter 20, but in Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites already knew that the seventh day was the Sabbath. Look at this text from Exodus 16. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, and it's talking about manna here, on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So even before the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath was there in the Bible. 
And then, of course, the Sabbath is at the heart of the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites kept on keeping it for a long, long time. And then we saw the Sabbath in the life of Jesus and how he predicted that it would still be in existence even 40 years after he went back to heaven. And then we saw that it was in the New Testament church. The New Testament, the apostles were keeping the Sabbath. And you find it all through the book of Acts. Remember, we found that the apostle Paul, 80 different times it talks about him keeping the Sabbath in the book of Acts. And there was no mention of a change. And then we discovered, even in Isaiah chapter 66, that even in the new earth, God's people are going to keep the Sabbath for all eternity. After we get to heaven, for it says, from one Sabbath to the next shall all flesh come and worship me. So friends, does the Sabbath square up with the Word of God, yes or no? Absolutely. What was standard number three? Standard number one is Jesus Christ. Standard number two is the Word of God. Standard number three is the law. Good job. This one is really crystal clear. Because there it is, friends, in the heart of the Ten Commandments. And what's really interesting is that those Ten Commandments were written on two tables of stone. Do you remember that? The first table of stone were the first four commandments. Those were represented our duty to who? To God. The second table was the six, last six commandments. Those represented our duty to who? To our fellow man, right? That's why Jesus summed up all the commandments the way he did. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The first four commandments. And love your neighbor as yourself. The last six. And in the first four commandments, which teach us our duty to God, you'll find that commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Amen. Here it is. We're going to read it together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Amen. Amen. So there it is, friends, all three standards of truth, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the law of God. Does the Sabbath stand up to the test of these three standards of truth? Amen? Is it clear? Now, I want to slow down and ask some really important questions, because most people are convinced, most people in the world are convinced that Sunday worship comes from the Bible. Do you think it would be worth our time to take a look at whether or not that's true? Right? That's worth our time. Okay. Now, Sunday is the first day of the week. Is that right? All right. And did you know that there are eight passages in the New Testament that specifically mention the first day of the week? How many passages, everyone? Eight. And only eight. What do you say we look at them all real quick? Would you like to do that? Even if you don't, we're still going to do it anyway. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to go through all eight really quick. I want to show you guys so it's crystal clear from the Word of God about this subject. Okay, here we go. The first one comes from John chapter 20, right after the crucifixion of Christ. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Well, there it is, Pastor Kyle. A worship service on the first day of the week. 
Or, wait a minute, is that what it says? Why were they gathered there, friends? Was it really a worship service? I want you to look very carefully at the text. The disciples were assembled for what? Fear of the Jews. At this point, they don't even know that Jesus has come back from the dead. So there's no conceivable way that they're keeping the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection here. The disciples are terrified. They're hiding. They're hiding because they're not sure if the mob is going to come and crucify them too. So let's be honest with this text. It mentions the first day of the week, yes. But does it say anything about abolishing the Sabbath or changing it to the first day of the week? No, absolutely not. All right, so here we go. Passage number two. This comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Well, that settles it. Pastor, that settles it. They took up an offering on the first day of the week, so obviously they were in church, Pastor. Well, now wait a minute. Is that actually what it says? Let's take a good look at this text. There was a famine going on in the city of Jerusalem, and Paul tells them to what? Lay something aside for famine relief so that when he comes, he won't have to run around collecting money from people. See, these people aren't at work. They're, at, they're, they're not at church, rather. They're at work. They're in their homes. In fact, many Bible translations actually simply say, Lay something aside privately or at home. It doesn't talk about bringing money to church. This is something people did when they went back to work on the first day of the week. They did it at work, and what Paul is teaching them is to put God first. It's a biblical principle. Honor God with the first fruits of your increase, Proverbs 3, verse 9. So when you start the business week, that's when you set something aside. But let's be really honest with this text, okay? Is there anything here that says the Sabbath was changed or transferred to the first day of the week? Absolutely not. It's not here. Okay, let's go to passage number three. This is from Acts chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, some of you say, I know some of you have told me, Pastor Kyle, these messages are a little bit long. You know, getting out at 9 o'clock is a little bit late. At least we're not going till midnight. Amen? (laughs) Can we go to midnight tonight? Are you guys okay with that? Paul did it. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. He continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, by the way, I just have to pause and say, I know some of you, I've seen you get a little bit sleepy here at the end. It's a little long day, right? That's all right, that's all right. Just have to tell you, when I was a pastor, I had a church member come up to me once, and he said, and this guy was a surgeon at Loma Linda, okay? He was a smart guy, and he said, Pastor Kyle, I just have to tell you something. When you preach, and I was like, I was getting ready to, th- I was getting ready to think, oh, he's going to give me a nice compliment. Pastor, when you preach, I get the best sleep of the week. 
I was like, I was so deflated. I was like, thanks, Steve. And he said, no, pastor, I'm saying that as a compliment. I just feel so at peace when you're, when you're preaching. I just conk out. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry, that was a little aside. Here we are. So, again, Paul is preaching, and Eutychus sinks into a deep sleep, right? And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. This is a remarkable story. Eutychus is healed. He is raised from the dead. Look at what it says. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. Now, some people look at this text and they say, oh, this proves that the disciples had a worship service on the first day of the week. Well, is that true? Now, let's look at this together, okay? When it says that they broke bread together, wasn't that a reference to the communion service? Well, in Acts chapter 2, it says the disciples broke bread together every single day. And so even if it was a communion service, it still doesn't show that they changed the Sabbath. Now let's think about this very carefully. Does the story even mention a change of the Sabbath? Yes or no? No. And again, we're talking about changing one of the Ten Commandments, so you'd think there would be some mention of that if that had happened. Does that make sense? Now when you're reading the Bible, you have to be very careful that you don't read something into the story that's simply not there. Let's look at the facts. The Bible says that Paul preached until midnight, right? And then, after Eutychus came back from the dead, he continued preaching until when? Until the sun came up. Now, some people will tell you, because it mentions the first day of the week, that Paul started preaching on Sunday afternoon and kept preaching until Monday morning. But now, that's modern Western thinking. In our thinking, the, the, the new day begins at when? At midnight, right? Midnight to midnight. But in the Bible, when did the new day begin? At sunset. It was differently. They measured days from sunset to sunset. Here's a little graphic that helps explain it. That's why Genesis chapter 1 says evening and morning were the first day. And evening and morning were the second day. So the day was finished when the sun went down. And evening was actually the first part of the next day. That's why Sabbath actually begins when? On Friday night, when the sun sets. Leviticus 23 verse 32 says, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So in Paul's day, the first day of the week really started when? On Saturday night. Does that make sense? When the sun went down. And that's why some modern translations actually say, New English Bible says this, look at what it says. On the Saturday night, in our assembly for the breaking of bread, Paul, who was about to leave the next day, addressed them and went on speaking until midnight. Very interesting. So once you understand this, friends, once you understand that this story actually begins on when? On Saturday night. Then it's really simple to figure out. The believers have gathered for a farewell to the Apostle Paul. He's getting ready to leave, and they want to spend as much time with him as possible. So he preaches on Saturday night. Eutychus is raised from the dead at midnight. And Paul continues preaching all the way until Sunday morning. So here's what it looks like. Paul preaches until midnight, all the way until daybreak. Eutychus falls asleep and dies. He is raised from the dead, and then Paul preaches until the sun comes up. And then on Sunday morning, the same chapter tells us that Paul walks 20 miles to go and catch a ship. Now, if, if Sunday was the new Sabbath, 
Walking 20 miles is a lousy way to keep Sabbath. Is that right? That's not a day of rest. So friends, it's clear that this text has nothing to do with a weekly day of worship. This is a farewell service to the Apostle Paul. There's nothing here to indicate that the Sabbath was abolished. All right. Let's move to number four. This text comes from Leviticus chapter, rather, Luke chapter 23, right after the death of Jesus. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now let's be honest with the text here. Is there anything here that indicates that the Sabbath was abolished? What do you think? On the contrary, it actually says that they rested on the Sabbath, right? All right, so this one's clear. This one's pretty clear. Let's move to number five, text number five. Mark chapter 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Again, is there anything in this text that indicates that the Sabbath was changed? Yes or no? What do you see? All right? All it says was that they visited the tomb on the first day of the week. There is no mention of the Sabbath or of a change of the Sabbath. All right, text number six. It comes from the same chapter, Mark chapter 16. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Again, was there anything here about the changing of the Sabbath? No. Pretty clear. That's text number seven. Now here we go for number seven. That was number six. Here's number seven. John chapter 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. How about this one? Anything here that suggests that the Sabbath has been changed? Yes or no? Pretty clear, right? Okay, let's move to number 8. Matthew 28 and verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. How about here? Anything here that indicates that the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week. Friends, that's it. That's every single text in the New Testament that mentions the first day of the week. Have you seen any scriptural evidence that the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week? Now, friends, there's not one indication anywhere in the Bible that the Sabbath has been transferred to the first day of the week. And you say, well, okay, pastor, maybe it's not been transferred, but maybe it's actually been abolished. Maybe God just decided to do away with it. Aren't there passages in the Bible that clearly say that the Sabbath was abolished? Well, I think we should check them, don't we? I don't believe so, but let's see what the Word of God has to say. Some of you say, what about Colossians chapter 2? Doesn't that say that the Sabbath was abolished? Well, good question. Let's take a look at it. I feel like we're in our q and I need Pastor J. Fia up here. Some people find this text a little bit confusing, so we're going to take a look at this text. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink 
or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Now you look at this text and you say, what are we supposed to make of this? Well, first of all, friends, did Paul say that the Sabbath was abolished in this text, yes or no? No. You won't find that in the text. So let's take a look at what he is saying. Let's go through this one more time. Now I'm going to highlight a couple words here. They're already highlighted on your screen. So let no one judge you, and I'm going to ask you guys to fill in where it's highlighted, okay? So let no one judge you in food or in, or regarding a, or a, or, which are uh, of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now pay attention very carefully, because what Paul is saying here is very important. Why do you think Paul talks about Sabbaths, Sabbath days, plural? It's because there was more than one kind of Sabbath. Did you guys know that? The word Sabbath simply means to rest. And obviously, that's what God did on the seventh day Sabbath, right? He established that at creation. He rested, and then He commanded us to rest following His example. But there were other holidays on a Jewish calendar where people also rested. They took the day off. Those were also called a Sabbath. Not because they were the same thing, but because they rested. Those other Sabbaths, they didn't come weekly. They would come yearly. Like Christmas or your birthday. Does that make sense? They were the feast days that we looked at when we studied Daniel chapter 8. The Passover, the Pentecost, the Day of Atonement, and so on. By the way, I, used, I heard of a, a cool tradition that some families do. We never did it, but I've heard of some families that if it's your birthday, you don't have to do any chores. I, I kind of wish my mom had done that. Mom, I don't know if you're watching. I'm sorry. But the point, just say that as an aside. The point is, in the Jewish calendar, there were Sabbaths that were related to the festivals, and those were yearly events. Those were not tied to the weekly Sabbath, okay? They were shadows of something that was to come. Notice how the Bible describes the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23, verse 32. It, that is the Day of Atonement, shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. All right, so these are special days that came once a year, and they were also called Sabbaths. They weren't the Sabbath, the seventh day, but they were Sabbaths in the sense that you took the day off. Does that make sense, everyone? And these annual Sabbaths were part of the ceremonial law. They involved special rituals and sacrifices. Here's how the book of Leviticus describes it. Leviticus chapter 23. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. These were special Sabbaths that involved sacrificial rituals, and they were clearly part of the ceremonial law. Does that make sense, everyone? They were shadows of the cross, right? We saw how the sanctuary and all of those feast days, they were all pointing forward to who? Who are they pointing forward to, friends? Jesus, right? They were all fulfilled in Jesus. They were pointing forward to the real Lamb of God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that once Jesus came, those shadows were no longer needed. 
In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us exactly which law was a shadow. It wasn't the moral law, it was the ceremonial law. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Which law is Paul talking about here? Is it the moral law? What do you think? How many of you think it's the moral law? How many of you think it's the ceremonial law? Exactly. It's the ceremonial law. The moral law never commanded sacrifices. The moral law is not a shadow. The seventh-day Sabbath is not a shadow pointing forward to the cross. It's a memorial pointing back to creation. Amen. Now let's go back to Colossians chapter 2 and look at it one more time. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Friends, which law is Paul talking about? Which law had food and drink and festivals? The ceremonial law. Is that clear, everyone? It's the ceremonial law, one that pointed forward to the cross and became unnecessary when the real Lamb of God came. Amen? Now, we all know that that law is gone, and that's what Paul was talking about here. Now, there's one more text in Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at it very, 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 very quickly. Let's read it through. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. One person esteems one day over another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Now you say, wait a minute. Doesn't that fly in the face of everything we've been studying? Doesn't that say that the Sabbath is optional? If you want to keep it fine, if you don't want to keep it fine too. But let me ask you another important question. Did Paul even mention the Sabbath in the text? Yes or no? No, he didn't. You have to assume that if you want this to be about the Sabbath. But you've got to read, again, you've got to read the whole thing. Because when you do, you'll discover that's not what Paul was talking about. Let's read the rest of the verse. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Now Paul is talking about eating, and there's nothing in the fourth commandment that talks about food. Isn't that right? The biggest issues in the early church, they had nothing to do with the weekly Sabbath. If you read the New Testament carefully, the biggest issues had to do with the Jewish rituals and ceremonies. They had to do with the things like circumcision and feast days and fast days and ceremonial washings, food offered to idols. So this has nothing to do with the Sabbath. In fact, if you back up a little bit and you read the whole chapter, it becomes absolutely obvious. Look what it says in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Again, does this have anything to do with the weekly Sabbath? No, friends. There's nothing in this commandment, there's nothing in the Sabbath commandment that has to do with eating and drinking. Paul is talking about ceremonial issues. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you'll see one of the biggest disputes of the day was whether or not it was okay to eat food offered to idols. Some people said it was okay. Some people said it wasn't. 
because idols were false gods. And the conclusion they came to was simple. Each one had to follow their own conscience. That's what's going on here in Romans chapter 14. It's talking about ceremonial days, ceremonial feasting, and ceremonial fasting. Do what seems appropriate, Paul says. But there's nothing optional about the Ten Commandments. Amen? There it is, friends. We've looked at every... I know that was a lot. We've looked at everything in the New Testament that even remotely suggests about the Sabbath being transferred or abolished. And of course, there's nothing there. So the biggest question is this. How did it change? How practically did the whole Christian world manage to get this wrong? Well, friends, we're going to talk about it more in a coming night. But in Revelation chapter 13, it says the world would eventually wonder after the beast. So we know that at some point, the world will be wrong. Paul said that the mystery of lawlessness was a major problem and that it would grow and grow until the final crisis when the Antichrist is revealed. Biblically speaking, there is no safety in numbers, friends. If the whole world is doing something, that doesn't mean it's right. Do you believe that? For the Christian, there is only safety where? In the Word of God. Amen? So how did it change? Now remember, on Friday night, I left you on a cliffhanger. Remember? And you guys, some of you were like, why did you leave us on a cliffhanger? Well, here comes the answer. We're going to first look at the convert's catechism of Catholic doctrine. Now, I want you to look at this question. Question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now that is really honest. It tells the truth. God didn't change the Sabbath day. We did. The church did. And we did it without permission. Now remember, we saw in the previous message how Cardinal Gibbons agreed with this statement. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The Scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. The Cardinal is absolutely right. If you want to live by the Bible, there is no question that Saturday is the Sabbath. So how did it happen? Let's review some history really quick. Remember we studied that true to Paul's prediction, there would be a period of compromise in the history of the Christian church. Remember Constantine. Remember that Battle of Milvian Bridge where he, he, he claimed that God gave him the victory, right? And, and he made the Roman Empire a Christian empire. And so the pagans were all coming into the church to win the favor of the emperor. But they were joining for the wrong reasons, right? That wasn't good for the church. They joined for political benefit. And they brought with them a lot of the pagan traditions that they had before. And in order to keep the peace, instead of dealing with compromise, the church actually started to Christianize some of the pagan artifacts and some of the things that they kept with them. For example, in the city of Rome, there's a very old pagan temple called the Pantheon. It's a magnificent structure. It was dedicated to many pagan gods. But after Christianity became popular, they converted it to a Christian church. And today, it serves as the final resting place for many notable Christians. Here's another example. 
How many of you have been to Rome, just out of curiosity? Anybody here been to Rome? I have not been to Rome. I'd love to go someday. But if you go to St. Peter's Basilica, which I've heard is a beautiful building, and there you're in the basilica, and right next to Bernini's canopy, you're going to see a very old statue of Peter. Everybody says it's Peter. Except there's one little problem. You know what that is? The historians will tell you that this statue actually predates Peter. It was there before Peter even was on the earth. It can't be Peter. Do you know who it actually is? It's Jupiter, the chief of the Roman gods. But after Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, they, they couldn't have this wonderful statue of Jupiter in the church, so they simply changed his name. And they said, this is now Peter. You visit the city of Rome and you'll see all kinds of examples of this. After Constantine, a lot of pagan artifacts and beliefs simply got repurposed. And one of the things that pagans loved was the first day of the week. Why? Because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun god. That's why we still call it Sunday. It was a day when they loved to party and they wanted to keep it. So to make a long story short, there was tension between the sincere Christians and the pagans who joined for all the wrong reasons. The Christians kept the Sabbath on the seventh day, hundreds of years after Jesus, but the pagans liked to party on the first day of the week. And to complicate matters even further, by the time you get to the fourth century, some Christians had already gone to the first day of the week because it helped them to fit into Roman society. Helped, they wanted to distance themselves from the Jews. And so in the city of Rome, you had two groups. You had sincere Bible Christians and half-hearted pagan converts. And these groups coexist until eventually, Constantine passes a law that enforces worship on when? The first day of the week. That happened in 321 AD. Here's what the law said. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all the workshops be closed. So the, for the first time, Constantine passes a law and Sunday worship becomes more and more acceptable to Christians. The church does the very same thing. They pass a resolution enforcing the observance of Sunday, and they did that in 364 A.D. at the Council of Laodicea. Here's what they said. Remember, this is more than 300 years after Jesus. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day, but the Lord's day they shall especially honor. Now all of a sudden, Sunday is the Lord's day. Suddenly they keep calling Sabbath, Judaizing, hundreds of years after Jesus and hundreds of years after the New Testament was written. Here's what I want you to think about. If Christians actually started keeping the first day of the week all the way back in the beginning, in the days of the apostles, then why did they need this law? Does that make sense? Friends, it's because Christians were still keeping the Sabbath in the fourth century. If they weren't, you wouldn't need this law. The historian and Catholic priest James Carroll tells us why they thought they needed this law. For centuries, Christian celebration of Easter coincided exactly with the Passover, and their observance of the Sabbath continued to take place on Saturday. Friends, they only passed the law because faithful Christians were still keeping Sabbath. On the seventh day of the week, just as the Bible predicted, the church began to compromise, and church leaders started to think of themselves as more important than the Bible. Remember this historian, Heinrich Holtzman, who told us in his book, Canon and Tradition, the authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath into 
Sunday, not by command of Christ, but by its own authority. Do you see it? Friends, God didn't change the Sabbath. We did. The church did. And the Bible predicted it. In fact, when we get to Daniel 7, you're going to see this even more clearly. It predicts that out of the Western Roman Empire, there would be a power that shall intend to change times and laws. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night. Bible prophecy was clear. Somebody was going to tamper with God's laws and God's times. It's just, it just happens to be us. It wasn't God. Let that sink in, friends. It's remarkable. We did it. The Bible spoke of a great falling away, and it spoke of the mystery of lawlessness, a disregard for the law of God. And here we are. You see, humans did it. God didn't do it, friends. This is absolutely something that historians know. Father T. Enright, early last century in the Wonkers Workers Bulletin, said this, Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Any schoolboy knows that. Sunday is the first day of the week. I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who will prove by their Bible alone that Sunday is the day we are bound to keep, and no one has called me for the money. Now, friends, he offered $1,000. Remember what I offered? I offered $100. Did anybody come up with one yet? I don't even have a $100 bill to give you, but I'll find one. Friends, I don't think you're going to find it. This guy never collected the money. Do you know why? Because the Bible teaches the seventh day is the Sabbath. There is no verse that tells us that God changed it to the first day. Stephen Canaan in his doctrinal catechism asked this question, have, any, have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of, of precepts? Answer, had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day. A change for which there is no scriptural evidence. How much scriptural evidence? None. He's absolutely right. Tonight, friends, we started with a big question. What is truth? You don't find it in man-made traditions. You find it in the Word of God. Jesus once said, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Friends, I don't want the commandments of men. I want the truth. Amen? The truth is found in who? It's found in Jesus. Now, I know it can be a little unsettling when you first discover this, but you need to remember the promise of God in Isaiah 58. Look at this very carefully, friends. If you turn your foot, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Personally, friends, I have discovered that this is absolutely true. This is a promise you can take to the bank. You know, I'll just say really quick, personal testimony. My mom, when she was young, she first, she was attending a Sunday church with my grandparents, and she, 
She remembers reading her Bible. She told me this story many times. Our deacons, you can pass out that card now, Harold. Thank you so much. And as she was studying her Bible as she was young, she remembers finding many of these texts about the Sabbath. And she would ask her pastor, what what does this mean? What is this this one and this one? And the pastor would, would not give her an answer. And for many years, she wondered, what was this thing the Bible talked about, the Sabbath? And it wasn't until many years later, when I was young, I was five years old, she was introduced to a pastor who taught her about the seventh-day Sabbath. And for the first time in her life, my mom discovered that the Sabbath was true. And she began taking me and my little brother on Sabbaths to church. And for the first time, we began keeping the Sabbath together as a family. And I'm here to tell you guys, you know, not all of my family keeps a Sabbath, and I love them with all my heart, but the Sabbath is the best thing in the world. It's a day with Jesus. It's a day of rest, a day of fellowship, a day with each other, and it's a day that God has given us as a special gift. And the Bible says when we honor Him and we follow His ways, we will ride on the high places of the earth. Some of you say, well, you know, Pastor Kyle, it's hard because sometimes I have to work on Sabbath. Sometimes I have to make sacrifices. Friends, I know. I know it can be tough. But God wants you to make that decision. You know, friends, the world we live in is tired. Creation is groaning under the weight of our sins. And our hearts are aching for the kingdom of God. And right now, even before Jesus comes, God says, I have a little piece of heaven for you to enjoy every week. God is offering you everything. He created you. He gave his life for you. He offers you a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And he also offers you rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A lot of people wonder where God is. They wonder why they don't sense His presence or why they never seem to hear from Him. Friends, tonight, God is offering you the most precious gift any father can can offer. He's offering you His time. He offers you a weekly appointment, and it's yours for the taking. Amen? As you respond to that decision card, if you could just look at that, I'm going to tell you a quick story as we close. Steve attended an evangelistic series of meetings on the island of Guam. His wife was a Sabbath keeper and a faithful Christian, but he didn't quite agree with her. He was respectful of her, but he was more interested in running his business. So while he was at the evangelistic meetings, he heard a stirring message on the importance of the Sabbath. Though he was impressed with the, the logic and the, uh, the clarity in which it was presented from the Word of God, he, he couldn't see his way to obey the commandment. It was just going to be too hard. Surely the Lord could, uh, could overlook his negligence of this one commandment. But then the text rang clearly in his ears, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2 verse 10. But how in the world would he keep the Sabbath? You see, there had been a typhoon that had recently wreaked havoc on the island. And and Steve ran a business, a tourist business, where they had boats and much of his equipment had been damaged. To keep the Sabbath would mean canceling 13 contracts with the beach hotels that rented his sports equipment, which was his bread and butter. And Saturday was the busiest day for them to rent, right? Right? 
So this move would cause the collapse of his business, or so he thought. But conviction lingered, and so he decided to speak with the evangelist. One day the evangelist went to his office. Steve presented his ordeal and all the challenges, and after listening, the speaker said this, if you will put your trust in God, he will never let you down. God has promised, and he will be true to his word, but it will take It will take me some time, Steve said, to get out of these contracts. First, I need to make sure I can get some other company to fill my place. I don't think it would be right for me just to drop my customers without providing a backup. Nevertheless, Steve decided to put his trust in the Word of God. And so he went ahead and he was baptized. And it was amazing what happened next. He was able to get out of his contracts that had weakened obligations, and then in keeping with the commandment, he kept the Sabbath. Two years later, Steve called the pastor and said this, I took you at your word, and everything you said was true. Prior to my commitment to God, I could never keep up with my debts. In the last two years, I have paid off more than $2 million. My business is secure. The other days, I take off Saturdays. The other days, my business doubled. And I am far better financially than in my previous experience. Thank you, Pastor, for encouraging me to trust in the Lord. He is faithful. Friends, perhaps tonight you're concerned just like Steve. You're not sure how you can keep the Sabbath. I want to challenge you. You're watching online. You're here in the audience. Jesus said, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. Oh, friend, it takes faith and trust to follow your Lord, but it is worth it. Who here would like to say tonight with me? Who here would like to say with me? Lord, I will obey you and I will trust you. Just raise your hand right where you are. You say, Lord, I want to keep your Sabbath holy. Amen. God sees your decision. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you've seen the hands that have been raised tonight. Father, we thank you that you are so faithful. We thank you that you've given us the gift of your Sabbath day. Lord, as we've studied tonight, it's been clear throughout the scriptures that you never change the Sabbath, that it's always been there and it still is there today. Lord, thank you for this beautiful gift. Thank you that we've rediscovered this truth of your word, and I pray that you would help each one of us to keep your Sabbath holy, to honor it. And Lord, as a result, we know that we're going to ride on the high places of the earth, like Isaiah says, and that you're going to bless us, and that it's going to be a blessing because we can spend every week one full day with you. So Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters, give them strength as they've made this decision, and thank you, Father, for the promise also that one day in heaven we're going to keep Sabbath with you every week all through eternity. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.